0: Hello, feeble minded humans, and welcome to Set Podcast to Stun, the podcast where we explore, explain, and enjoy the Star Trek franchise. I'm Clint the Q, joined by Chancellor Emily Gowron.
1: Ah, Riza was a delight.
2: And
0: Captain Corey. Oh my God, I am so sunburned right now. <laughs>
2: Hey, what kind of adventures did you guys have on Riza cause i got a I got a real dilly of a pickle that I am in right now. What did you do, Emily?
1: It would not be honorable to tell, but suffice to say there are several Rizanians that will never be the same.
0: They're Mormon now <laughs>
1: <laughs> as I said, it would not be honorable to tell.
0: I drink a lot of of margaritas this this drink that they uh imported from earth is is quite delightful. Uh, it was mostly salt, though. I don't think they had the uh, the recipe quite right. It's just giant things of salt and tequila. And then um, just uh, swam naked a lot.
1: You said the drink tasted like your tears.
0: <laughs> I, I was just so happy <laughs> just to have a break from, from the shenanigans that you two put me through. What, what happened with you, Corey? Oh,
2: my God. I get to Riza, I have my really short shorts, and I'm not wearing a shirt. And I take my tomes, my leather-backed tomes. I've been trying to get through all of Gary Paulson's Brian series. So I mm-hmm. had Hatchet and I had Brian's Winter. <laughs> and I'm sitting down on the um I'm sitting down on the beach chair. And I'm just sitting there and these Romulans Um, they introduce themselves and they say that they're just tourists, but I found out later they're from the, the Tal Shiar and we just get to chatting. They buy me a couple of drinks. I'm telling them all about Brian and his adventures that he's going on through the wilderness in Canada. And they start asking me all these questions about like the Klingon empire and the Q continuum. Um, and I'm a little lubed up at this point and I just start kind of chatting away freely. And they, uh, well, they invited me to come to one of their brotherhood meetings next Wednesday. And I already said yes. So I guess I'm going to that. And um, they also gave me this little kit here. It's like, it's like a little bowling bag. Let me just zip this up. Uh, so inside of it, there's a big, um, there's like these shoulder pads and there's this makeup and there's like a big bowl cut wig. So I guess I have to wear all of those things. But I'm just gonna go and see what's going on. They said they'd kill me if I didn't go. But huh, that's RISA for you though, right? You go there for an adventure and
0: just get recruited. I mean, that's just the Rogulin sense of humor, right? They're just always threatening to kill people. <laughs> making making babies with, with human POWs and they just love their little shadow games. Wait, 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 I would wait, say they're wait, harmless.
1: Wait, 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 wait. wait. Making babies with human POWs, I yeah. have totally not encountered that episode yet. <laughs> oh.
0: Tasha Yar. What? Yeah.
1: Tasha? Oh, gross. I didn't realize that was like a whole stable situation. I thought it was just her.
2: No, it's it's really, really simple, Emily. You see, Tasha Yar wasn't actually killed in the parallel universe. She was captured by the Romulans during a battle, and she was taken back to Romulus, and she lived in a POW camp, and a, um, a high-ranking Romulan official made a baby with her. And that Romulan baby looked exactly like Tasha Yar. And then uh, 30 years later, that, that child threatened the, the stability of the Federation and uh, had a bit of a conflict with Picard in a very exciting and terrible episode. Very
0: um, simple, straightforward story, Emily.
1: I do remember her coming back and realize that I completely blocked it out because I hated it. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for taking me through that boring and yet also traumatic arc.
0: Well, that's what we're here for at Set Podcast to Stun, to bore and traumatize people.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. Welcome. Welcome
0: back. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get into today's episode, A Taste of Armageddon. So, what happens in this episode is Kirk is forced to go to this planet, basically, right? Um, they're looking, the Federation is looking to establish some diplomatic relations um, with this planet in this, you know, star cluster or whatever. Um, they're getting close. The planet's like, oh, don't come near us. Um, so, basically, we get on this planet and Kirk finds out that um, these people are waging a virtual war with another planet in their system, and uh, through this game, his ship has been declared a casualty, and they have to uh, report down below to uh, be disintegrated. And that's what that planet does. Everyone just kind of voluntarily, you know, walks into a suicide booth and gets all killed and stuff. So we got a lot <laughs> of fun shenanigans. And whatnot, you know, hashing this this conflict out. So um It is a oh, silly
2: episode, as you can tell. It's one of the slip on a banana pill ones.
0: <laughs> this was a very silly uh episode. Lighthearted. Um,
1: if you can't what, if you can't tell, it's very uh realistic because they choose Kirk to be a diplomat.
0: <laughs> no, there's another diplomat that one guy i think his name's like fox or something yeah ambassador robert fox and he's like you gotta get there and we need a port of call here because of some reason
1: kirk shouldn't even be allowed to know about the existence of diplomatic missions let alone be attached (laughs) to one
0: well um before before we start hashing this episode emily would you would you think of it thumbs up or down
1: um, you know, at the time of watching it, it was a very firm down. Uh, but afterwards, it was an it was an up. I've, mm, okay. I've got a theory about it.
0: On further reflection, what about you? What about you, Corey? Thumbs up or down? Thumbs up. I enjoyed it. Nice. It was a good one. Awesome. For me, thumbs way up. I love this episode. We'll <laughs> get more into this later, but I just thought it was hilarious. The Kirk Swagger was just like turned up to eleven. Uh he was pretty great and, and pretty insane in this episode. Um he was just really had his dick out and just pissing all over this planet and he's like, This is mine now. Um Yeah, so, I uh, I
1: knew that your love would come from a dark place like that. You're a monster.
0: Yeah, well of course. I have a very I have a very dark love. Um Oh so, so yeah, let's, um. what did you guys, I love the premise of this story. I think that's a good place to start today, where these two civilizations, one is an offshoot of the other one, like they colonized this planet um, a long time ago, and they've been at war with each other for five, I was going to say five million years, <laughs> for 500 years. And they said, I've, did you guys do the math? They said that they have one to three million casualties each year. Oh, so, don't worry,
2: Clint. I'm going to get into the math here uh, in a little bit when we start talking about those disintegration chambers. But perfect. proceed. I yeah. have
1: never voluntarily done math in my life, and I most certainly will not do it for this podcast.
0: <laughs> we'll just put a phaser to your head sometime and make you do some – some. Uh subtractions or whatever. You'd have you to remember... remember
1: what math is before you make me do it, Clint.
0: <laughs> oh no, well, well, it'll never happen then.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> do you remember that thing that came up on Reddit a couple of years ago about that save file in Civ 2 that uh in the in the file it was just AI versus AI, I think. I don't know if there's a player character, but they were just locked into this war that was unending and mm-hmm. the the year in the save file was like I don't know, like 6,000 AD and the game usually only goes up to 20,000 to, to 2,000 AD or something like that. Um, but just, just the way that the game had gone um, the, the AI would not stop the war and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have a peace. So it was just an unending uh, barrage of death for thousands Didn't of Didn't they years.
0: like, Oh, like publish it. And then like tons of people were like running the, the save file and like yeah, reporting yeah. back on all the different like pre-mutations of war um yeah so i want to explain this conflict a little bit more so basically they get to a point in this war between these two civilizations where it's fought on a computer so they just um basically they have this computer set network set up between these two these two planets um theoretical mathematical attacks are launched against each other so like when they were there like a bomb hit the city and they're like, Oh no, that was a good one. They really got us good. There were a lot of casualties and Kirk and the away team are looking around. They're like, Oh man, we didn't hear any bombs go off. We didn't hear, you know, anything happening. Like what's going on. This must be a very um,
1: advanced weapon. Oh dear.
0: mm -hmm. Well, they're just like, what the fuck are you guys high? Is this some sort of joke? Like Kirk is not amused. The the second Kirk gets on this planet, he's like, I'm not having any of this. Um, but yeah, and then the guy explains to the crew that they just launched these like computer attacks. Um and then the the casualties are calculated, and then the people who are are considered casualties have 24 hours to walk into a disintegration booth or a a suicide booth and then that's how they have war and so they are like oh well we really figured out war our war is super awesome um you know we don't have to destroy any buildings or anything like that we can just go on killing each other for 500 years and just stepping into suicide booths and our culture survives, our building survives, so we can have an awesome war without without having to actually destroy any buildings. Um but I just love this this was such an interesting premise. I really like the idea of I don't know just how insane these these people are. I feel like if you're like a if you were an alien and you came to planet Earth, I think you would just just be as just as like This is how your planet works? Like, as Kirk is with these people. I don't know. What do you you think of that? that,
1: Well, first of all, that really unlocks something in you. Like, Mm -hmm. I I can feel your passion. (laughs) (laughs) I think... Well, I think you're right that the premise of they're fighting a war and they're using a computer simulation, I actually really liked that. I thought that was really interesting. And he makes the main guy makes this like impassioned speech that he's like yeah the loss of lives is sad but like when we were actually bombing ourselves we lost our culture we lost our history we lost so much more as like a whole species and i was like that is a good point and particularly in the 60s people who had seen europe devastated and you know whole generations worth of intellectual activity destroyed and halted and you know, priceless art lost forever to see that they would have gone. Yeah, that would have been like the loss of lives is terrible, but if we could have saved those things, that would have been good too. So you're right. The premise is interesting, but then what makes this a really goofy episode and makes it kind of difficult to watch, I felt is that the fashion. Well, uh, (laughs) we're, we need a little sound, to dictate when we're going into uh fashion commentary, because, ooh boy, it is a great one for that. But no, like, the voluntary disintegration chambers are just dumb. Like, they're just so dumb. Like, why does every alien species that this uh ship encounters, why are they so fundamentally stupid? Like...
0: <laughs> i'm sorry these cultures really love their chambers right because in the Uh the purge episode they had a brainwashing chamber Uh and now in this one they have a disintegration chamber
1: it's like some guy some salesman of the future went around selling chambers to everybody it was like that um monorail episode of the simpsons (laughs) and then they were left with this like weird closet room and they're like I guess we'll have to find some use for this, and then <laughs> like spending all their money on this hoax turned them all stupid and evil uh, <laughs> no, I just it it felt like a straw man argument, like they set it mm. up for Kirk to be so shitty and like I'm gonna punch my way out of this, you know, you can't wrestle with good old American beef diplomacy or whatever I don't know, whatever the fuck he's doing uh the yeah i i feel like i'm i'm losing the way to describe this like they started with an interesting premise and then they were like well we can't have both the alien species and kirk be right so i guess we'll just take this left turn in the second act and make them stupid
0: kirk is just having no part of this like from the jump he is just not having any of of this nonsense oh yeah he's
1: anti-picard
0: yeah, um, I and you were talking about them just walking into disintegration booths. My One of my favorite parts of this episode where they, like, escort a lady into a dis- disintegration chamber. I'm going to call them suicide booths because that's hard to say a lot. Um, and she dies, and then one of the guards just, like, walks into it, and then they kill him. <laughs> and I just thought it was, like, that's like a scene from Futuronima. I just thought it was so funny.
1: Yeah, it is really goofy.
0: Corey, what do you think of this this premise? Uh, well, I know that um, one of the inspirations for this episode
2: was the because at the same time, the Vietnam War was going on. So people mm. were just hearing these numbers every night, like 30,000 people were killed, 40,000 people were killed. And to just be sitting at your home, you know, drinking a beer, watching TV, and then the news report comes on. I think this episode was a little bit of a commentary on on Americans facing that, where death just became a bit of a number, because there was no mm-hmm. destruction mm-hmm. in the American society at all. There were no, you know, buildings being bombed or anything like that. It was all something very far away and, and kind of abstract. So I think this episode addresses something like this. And you know, you were talking about the premise, and it, I just want to. It's when we say it was like a. It's a computer simulation. It's not like they're going into a, a room. They're not going into a hollow deck and having a fight in there, and they're not like hacking each other. It's like it's like laser tag. It's like if you went mm-hmm. and played laser tag <laughs> with a bunch of fourteen-year-olds, and then you got hit, you know, by Cody or Adrian or whatever, and then you had to go report yeah. to the uh, mayor Meyer dormo of the laser tag, and he'd put a slug in your shoulder for reals afterwards. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, you're right. Where they're like, we launch a missile at you, and they're like, "Darn, you sunk my battleship." It's exactly like that. Yeah. Um, that's a really great point, Corey. Though I wanted to echo that, where it's very a prescient episode, right? Because it's almost it. You could almost analogize this to the Iraq War. You know, that's still going on, and it it kind of costs us so little to be in this constant state of war. And it, it but it the human cost is is so much, so that's a really that's a really great point, Corey.
1: I've heard the phrase "forever war" to describe that current conflict because it is just ongoing. Like we're never going to be out of it. There's no real purpose for us being there anymore, except that we're always there.
2: Mm-hmm. And one of the central ideas in this issue is that I'm sorry. One of the central ideas in this episode is Kirk is looking at this very peaceful war where there's still a shitload of casualties but there's no destruction of the culture or the buildings or anything like that um and the way he's approaching it is if you want to play war you better play war for real because war is not a nice thing um if you Mm -hmm. really want to not like broker any kind of a peace between your two civilizations and just do this this fake proxy war um I'm not gonna stand by this. this is this is not cool to me. So he forces them to enter either enter into a real war or to find some way to 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 reach a peace agreement.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. he has this whole speech about how you need the brutality in your face so that you know that it's wrong and you try to stop it. But I am really tired of this apology that Star Trek it's is making this this like praise of violence like every episode is some sort of like brutalism is good violence is good like as long as we're the ones doing it and and maybe it's an anachronistic theme and that's why it stands out to me but it's like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: how can you create this person of like this perfect untouchable moral person who's like you gotta kill civilians because that's how you know it's working or something like it's there's this glorification of it that's uh, kind of unsettling.
0: Well, does it go, though, like, to play devil's advocate, does it go into the necessity for for violence? He, he kind of talks about this at the end where the... I think his name's Anon Seven, is the leader. And he's been talking about how we're all barbarians and we all like to kill. And why don't you just kill me, Kirk? And Kirk's like, yes, we are natural killers, but we can also reject killing. We can just say for today, I'm not going to kill. So it's almost kind of saying like we want to be peaceful. But sometimes when you fight, you got to fight and you got to fight dirty and you got to fight hard or else you're just going to you're never going to end this war.
1: But this is, like, that episode where he split into good Kirk and evil Kirk or whatever. Like, animal Kirk and gentle Kirk or something. And they were just like, oh, his, you know, mean rapiness is part of what makes him a good captain. Because that's just human nature. And, like, all of these dilemmas are, like, human nature is essentially red of tooth and claw. And that's good. I don't... I I think you see similar arguments now sometimes when people are like, well, you know, might makes right, and that's just the way it is. And it's like, that's not really the way humans function. It's Mm -hmm. just such a reductive way of thinking about humans. I don't know. It's like a naturalistic fallacy that they're like, this is the way that humans are in nature, so therefore it's correct and good.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you there that people sometimes people think just that's how nature works so that should be fine but it's like yeah we can evolve right we can get past this this is a basic thing sure it it's like capitalism right kind of capitalism mirrors nature but it doesn't mean it's good and it's right or it should be you know it well, should and- be employed we can it that's sure the way it works but we can build something better
1: yeah like When Charles Darwin is talking about survival of the fittest, fittest didn't mean the most violent or the biggest or, like, the most brutal or the most able to, like, subjugate people. It meant—fittest meant the best able to adapt to the situation. And so adaptation is what fittest meant. And, like, even though he talked about competition, he also wrote about cooperation, and so in this sense, Kirk is perhaps one of the least fit individuals because he absolutely refuses to adapt to whatever situation he is in. <laughs> He's just like, am I gonna have to use my seduction of underage women or my fists to get out of this pickle?
0: <laughs> and that's what that's what I like about him. <laughs> we got two solutions. <laughs> I'm either going to beat someone up, or I'm going to have sex with an underaged girl, and I'm all out of underaged girls.
1: It's like in 30 Rock when Will Arnett's character is like, I've got an inside connection with the Obama presidency, and he's like, hey, Sasha. Oh, no, he did not say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but at least Will Arnett's character is gay in that.
1: Yeah, he's, he's just seducing with friendship and hot goss.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about the fashion, Emily, which was on point. Like, not really, but man, this is some goofy, goofy fashion.
1: Yeah. uh, There's like a lot of one colored pant leg uh, and some very festive, shall we say? There's some weird hats going on. Mm Mm-hmm. There is a blonde love interest for Kirk who obviously gets super upset when she gets assigned to the... Oh, Jesus. The dog just came in and licked me in the mouth.
2: Yeah. Let me... I want to want to bring up the hat. I want to talk about the hat. The hat that they have, uh, all the guards on this planet and everyone that's in the military, they have <laughs> these hats that can be described best as um, swimming caps. Like, they're that tight, but there's like a... A birthday party hat underneath it so there's a yeah. big cone coming off the top of their head but it's just like the span the the rubber stretched over it so you got two models you got the birthday hat model and then you have the toilet paper tube model which is there's like a big <laughs> cylinder on top and um i'm all about respecting other alien races cultures but and i hope this isn't undiplomatic of me to say they look really fucking
0: stupid.
1: <laughs> Got a strong cone heads vibe.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great. It's like cone head hats. Um but uh this lady, I think her name's May 3, if if I'm reading this correctly, um she had an interesting little garment on too where it was like a weird like boob shawl. I don't know, is that how you describe it?
1: It's like a Scottish kilt, but then it's like the plaid part that like they wear over the shoulder, and then instead of becoming like a little skirt, it it's like goes down to her knees, I guess. Boob shawl, so- boob shawl sounds, yeah, boob shawl kilt.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm willing to go with that with that description of it.
1: Uh, uh and it is like a very like fabulous sort of blue stripey pattern situation it's not subtle
0: <laughs> it is not subtle yeah all these they just i think the war has really just ravaged their their it all the all the fashion icons died first in this war i think <laughs> all the designers
1: it's really taken a toll on our glamour this war yeah <laughs> Oh, I, I do have one thing I can't believe I forgot to mention, or I almost forgot to mention this, about the fashion. There's a part where there's a guard. Um, He's guarding the chick, I think. And it's like a really intense scene. Well, it's not a really intense scene. But first of all, there's like a sculpture on the wall that looks like an upside down cross, which is already kind of like, whoa, what the fuck is going on here? It's a little mm-hmm. satanic. But then, so his, like, so they're, the Conehead people are wearing, like, black, long-sleeve pant jumpsuits. But then one leg will be a different color, and that leg will then, like, turn into a sash of a similar color. Mm-hmm. And his is pink, <laughs> but he's, like, a white guy, and then he has, like, a pinkish gun, and he holds it, and I'm like... He looks like he's holding a penis. Like, he looks like he's naked
0: <laughs> holding
1: a penis. And I just kept staring at it and I was like, I'm not making this up. Like, that is, there's no way nobody else saw that. They had to have done it on purpose.
0: <laughs> They're just very unaware in, in the 60s. It's,
1: it's so, like, I want everyone to watch this episode just to see this scene because once, like, I, Genuinely did a double take because I thought the guy was naked.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, the fashion was a, a little bizarre in this episode. It was a little jarring from our usual. I don't know.
1: I mean, that's how you know they're an alien races that they have different hats and hairstyles.
0: So, Corey, what are what are some of the the stuff that you noticed in this episode? Oh boy, there was a lot of great
2: stuff in this episode. Uh, when <clears throat> So Kirk and Spock beam down to the planet. Um, the, the diplomat kind of demands that they, uh, they get some kind of a diplomatic relationship with this planet because they want them to be in the Federation. So Kirk and Spock have to go down there and see what's going on, even though the planet does not want anybody to come down. Um, when they go down, they have to leave Scotty in command. So this is the first time that we've ever seen, I guess, I I don't know if we've seen Spock in command before, but Scotty is now in command of the ship. And um, I just want to say that that was probably my favorite part of the episode, because he gets put into a lot of situations where the away team is in a lot of danger, and his ship is basically um, ordered to be destroyed, and he has this ambassador breathing down his neck the entire time. So I thought Scotty really, really got a chance to shine in this episode. And I, I really enjoyed a lot of his lines. He
0: had some great quotes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally it was agree a fun you.
1: Scotty episode for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. I felt like there was another, maybe it was Return of the Archons where he was in charge as well. I, I feel like this wasn't the first time he was left in charge of the ship. But I do agree with you that he did a great job. I loved Scotty as a temporary captain. I think he really worked out really great. And also the back and forth between Scotty and McCoy was also really interesting. And I thought McCoy was less annoying than usual. So I think he he makes a good pair with, with Scotty.
1: Can we can we all say our favorite Scotty lines in our best Scottish accent?
0: Um sure. Yeah. I know what mine is.
1: I know what mine is too.
0: It might be the same one.
1: It probably is the same one. <laughs> all
2: right, do you want me to start? Wait, wait, before you say that, let me just let me just um say throughout this episode because they knew that Scotty was going to be heavy in this, they wanted to remind the the, the viewer that he was in fact from Scotland and had a Scottish heritage. So there are, a, if there was a Scottish dial on him, they turn that all the way up to 10 because he makes sure to, uh, to put in a lot of uh, aphorisms and, and Scottish phrases. Uh,
0: I, the, the haggis is in the fire for sure. I, the
1: haggis is in the fire for sure. That was also <laughs> when, my
0: favorite one.
2: When when Spock and Kirk are about to beam down to the planet, he just turns to them and says,
0: "Have a bonny trip." Who <laughs> like, says that? No, this is my favorite my favorite line that Scotty says. Ah, diplomats! The best diplomat I know is a fully charged phaser bank.
1: <laughs> ah, diplomats. <laughs> No matter how Scottish I try to sound, I just sound slightly Jamaican.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, Scotty was so great. He was awesome in this episode. I kind of want to talk about, this has to do with Scotty a little bit too, but what was it? General Order 27? Was that it?
1: Yeah, 24.
0: 24. Okay, you're right. General Order 24. I just love how there's basically a general order to just bomb the fuck out of a planet no matter what, right? Like that's so un Star Trek the way we've come to know it where he yeah. just needs to shout "General Order 24 in 2 hours" and then 2 hours later we're just going to bomb the fuck out of your planet and We're going like... to commit
1: not only genocide but planet genocide.
0: Mhm. Kirk Kirk basically says, "Oh, you guys like war? Well, <laughs> how about planet genocide?" What do you think about that? Uh, I just thought that was hilarious. Kirk, the natural
1: diplomat.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, like we said, Kirk is basically telling these people that um, if you're going to have this war, then you better have a real war. And the way that he decides to do that is he says, if you guys don't make peace with each other right now, I am going to um, basically blow your planet up. Mm -hmm. And so you better, you better make a decision right now. So he says, he's he's captured at this point and he uh, barks off an order to Scotty when he gets a second um, while the leader's talking to the Enterprise. And he says, uh, activate order 24. And the, we, we find out that means blow up a planet. But mm-hmm. it's kind of, it, so there's two ways that you can go with this. The first way is that this was, it's a fake order that, that doesn't exist, but mm-hmm. Star Trek has a whole list, at least 24 of fake orders to give people when you're trying to trick other civilizations. Um, yeah,
1: I I like that interpretation very much.
2: Which is really, really duplicitous and and very sneaky, but I, I do love it that you not only do you have to remember the real orders, but you have to remember the fake orders too for a situation just like this situation. Or starfleet actually does have an order 24 which is pretty low on the list of orders that you can give like (laughs) order 21 um make sure everybody has a nice rest for a week uh order 22 clean out your phasers and all of your equipment and then order 24 destroy an entire planet so if that's the case then they they must use this um quite often. It's not like it's order 2044. It's 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 order 24.
1: I like the idea that it's just a timer. Like it's like Kirk is getting captured and so he's just like order 24 and so Scotty's just like okay, I'll set a timer for 2 hours.
0: <laughs> and, and then he knows, and the pie will be done.
1: Right. He just knows that Kirk is doing something and he's like okay, uh you continue on. I'll fulfill your mission, sir. Like Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and then because it's just a timer, that's what it counts down from.
2: But he, I, I would accept that. But he did know what he was supposed to do without that, um, that language going on. He, he, he was cognizant that he was instructed to blow up the planet, and he even like <laughs> feigned. And I wonder if he was actually going to.
1: I know. I was wondering that too. I thought it would have been great if the episode ended with like, um. Order 24 going through and, like, nothing happens. Like, Kirk's like, I never was going to blow you guys up for real.
0: I don't know. Just sometimes you got to bomb the fuck out of a planet. And, uh, you know, you just got to do it sometimes. And Kirk knows that. And Scotty knows that.
1: Spoken like a true American. I mean, Starfleet mm-hmm. officer.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was pretty... That was pretty great. Do you think, though, Kirk would have stopped it if they just let everyone go and let them go on their way? No. Well, he
2: seemed pretty invested at that point in, in yeah. fixing these people.
0: See, I don't think Kirk would have gotten as deeply involved if they weren't like, oh, you got here. Okay, everyone report for suicide, right? Like, if, he was, if they were just like... Oh well, yeah, we're just having this little war and we kill each other and I don't know, hang out for a while. You're not in danger. I don't think he would have gone as far to like try and stop this war, but since his his ship was in danger, he was saying, "Okay, if this problem is if this war is gonna endanger my ship, then I'm gonna end this war by whatever means necessary."
1: Oh, I see. So you're saying it wasn't about Kirk having some imaginary moral high ground. It was because. His beloved was in danger.
0: hmm Exactly. And by that,
1: we don't mean the blonde wearing the, uh, what did you call it? The pussy shawl? The uh, boob shawl. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, I took that way dirtier. Oh, <laughs> Uh, I'll li- Listen, we've been on Risa I don't know what the yeah. audience expects Uh, But no, I mean, we don't mean her We mean the, the beloved ship
0: Yes Well, they offered to not kill the ship, right? Because that's what they care about Is stuff, right? So they're like, we'll kill your crew But we'll just let your ship stay there
1: No, you've threatened her That's enough We're <laughs> enemies now
0: She can't run without a a good crew To, to oil her up
1: Oh gross!
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> is that is that what how you describe your uh, trip to Riza as Clint?
0: Yeah, all oiled up, ready <laughs> for some Harone.
1: with a whole crew to make you run. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> uh, I really liked the conversation that Kirk had. I, I think I was saying this like Kirk's swagger was just like turned up to eleven in this episode, and he. One thing, too, I want to talk about is I hated the way that, like, the escaped situations or, like, what Spock was doing. First of all, Spock was having a great time during this episode. He loved that they were having this computer war. But it was so dumb when he, like, Vulcan mind-melded through, like, a solid door to, like, get them out of there. And then he uses the dumb, like, oh, there's a spider on your shoulder trick. And then, like... Vulcan nerve pinches a guy. I just hated that whole thing. Do you guys know what I'm talking about?
1: Yeah, yeah. I made a note of how bizarre it is that he's like, oh, this is great. And he's like, never mind. I don't care about diplomacy or logic anymore. Let's just fucking punch people.
0: Yeah. But I did love the conversation Kirk had with their leader, Anon7, where he's talking about war and how dirty war is. And he's like, you better not get into war with me because when I make war, I do it for real. It felt it felt like a very, like, Freudian conversation.
1: Like they were talking about fucking.
0: Yeah, he's like, I, I make real sex. I'm a real man. Yeah. Um, And then later on in that scene. Look how was, big like...
1: my cannons are.
0: <laughs> and, like, he's like, I'm going to take this whole planet down with just this phaser. And then later on in the scene, there was, like, a statue of, like, a person with their, like, hands on their head, so I thought it was like a man like displaying his genitalia or something like that. See um, this
1: this ties back to my fashion week observation where it looks like that guy is naked holding his dick.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Maybe it's a, a a commentary about like the like repressed sexuality bubbling up into violence or or something like that, right?
1: That would have um, been a very uh, a very popular. Counterculture argument about the Vietnam War, I think. Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
2: I, I did want to talk about the leader a little bit because I, I actually really, really liked the leader and I liked the actor that that was portraying this guy. It was Anon7. Was that his name? Anon mm-hmm. Q. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Q Anon. Um, yeah. Oh, <laughs> God. But it, it, it was really interesting because I, I thought that if you're going to have a villain, uh, he he was a great villain, and it was like it was like a Black Panther sort of villain where they're they're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, or do I mean that the other way around? He's doing <laughs> the wrong thing for the right reasons because yeah. he's mm-hmm. inherited this situation, this five hundred year old war, and all he can do is what his ancestors did, which is make sure that the cities don't get destroyed. So he's he's carrying on with this, oh yeah, the simulation. If if these people in this pocket of the city would have died, then they're to report and and kill themselves. Um he's not expected to be like a great diplomat and you know Gandhi of his time. He's just a person who is is in this role. So from his point of view, he's doing what his job is. These outsiders come in and and severely threaten the balance by making it that a real war might happen. Mm-hmm. And um, everything that he does is to protect his people and to protect the, the cities and the culture. So I, 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 I could see his side of it, even though you don't agree with it. Um, I thought it was just a lovely portrayal of, of how to have a villain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Corey, see, this is why I said when I watched it, It was so goofy that I didn't enjoy it. But how you described a non-QAnon 7 is what made me like it afterwards, where we're starting to get into Star Trek as we know and love it, where the antagonists are not these cardboard villains. They're just people with a different point of view than the Starfleet officers. Mm -hmm. And that negotiation is still a little rough, but you can feel them starting to stretch into that a little more and present arguments that even though Kurt goes way overboard in how wrong he thinks they are, you can see how that argument would be seductive or has some logic or draw to it, right? Why not minimize the damage of war as much as possible? We're not destroying the earth. We're not destroying animals. We're not destroying culture. You know, if you could do that, why wouldn't you do it? Um, like, that's, that's a fair argument. It gets a little goofy and over the top, but I think that your description is what made me like this episode more in hindsight.
2: Yeah, like, let's imagine that Kirk went down to a planet that had the same culture and mindset as, like, a, a beehive. And the way their society works is that there's one queen bee, and then everybody, they're humanoids, but everybody works to make sure that that person survives. And they'll even, like... You know, kill themselves in protection of the hive or the colony. Kirk would go down there and say, like, "Oh wow, oh, holy shit, this is a crazy culture you guys got here. Let's uh, let's tweak that around a little bit. Everybody should be free. Everyone should should live according to their own principles," like Starfleet spout. So. In this episode, this is like a huge violation of the Prime Directive because this is what... It's like a beehive. Like, you wouldn't upset that. That's just how those people... That's how bees are. But that's how mm. these people are. They're totally mm-hmm. okay with it. There is no one that's like, oh my god, don't disintegrate me, please. Like, they all stoically go um, to their fate. Uh, and and it's it's every it's all the Starfleet people that are horrified by this.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah. this is kind of gets into... Yeah, like, I feel like we're suddenly into the tropes of Star Trek, and I I feel like this happens a lot where Kirk, it's like Kirk comes upon two people playing chess, and he's just like, what? This is how you play chess? That's dumb. And then he just flips (laughs) the table over, and all the pieces go everywhere. He's like, I'm fucking rad. Fuck you guys. I'm gonna have sex with this chick, and I'm out. And then, like, that's how Kirk goes through life.
1: Kirk's like, what, you're playing chess? And yeah, he knocks it over and he's like, don't play chess, play checkers.
0: (laughs) Play 3D chess.
1: (laughs) I mean, you can really appreciate how, what a break it was for them to have Picard, but also why they would do that. Like, it really does become a different series when you have, like, a slow, considered, archaeologist, nerd, captain, instead of, like, the jock who is weird and aggressive.
0: Yeah. I. It'd be interesting to see how this episode would have been done differently today. One thing I would think would happen is we'd see, instead of having just, like, computers do the fighting, it would still be, it would be, like, a virtual war. Where, like, their soldiers are getting into, like, VR pods, and they're, like, playing video games against each other, and then that results in, like, people dying. Like, oh, um, hey, Dark Mirror. What is
1: that? Ender's Game.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, kind of like that, except it's all virtual, and then people are still like stepping into you know their suicide booths and and dying. I
1: mean, I think in reality this episode would not get made today because making suicide like a it's handled very crassly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not considered like it's not given the weight of the mental turmoil and and the impact that it has on people around it i i don't think that this episode would get made at all because to just be like yep ritual suicide haha ha, you guys are backwards like that's a really upsetting message like i think if we we're seeing a contemporary um like show do that they would definitely get canceled probably rightly so to at least be criticized for that
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe today they would like have everyone have little like death chips implanted in them <laughs> at birth, and they just like.
1: Oh, kill- hello, Black Mirror. Yeah, as Corey so. said. <laughs> well, uh, do you think this is the first time that uh, Black Mirror, Shawl, and Captain Kirk have all been discussed in the same hour?
0: For sure, for sure, we're we're treading new ground in this this podcast. We're trailblazers, let me tell you.
1: Like really embarrassed that I said pussy shawl. Your mother listens to this episode.
0: She does listen to this show.
1: (laughs) That's okay. I'll just never see her or speak to her ever again.
0: She wears a pussy hat. I don't... She's she's fairly (laughs) hip. Okay, I want to talk about the Disintegrators. Yeah, let's talk about the Disintegrators.
2: Okay, so... The way it works is that if your part of the city was destroyed, you have to report for death within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. In this episode, um, there's a strike on the city and 1.5 million people are scheduled to be killed and they all have to show up um, within 24 hours to to kill themselves. Also, the Enterprise is destroyed, air quotes, and everyone on the ship has to report down to... um, to, to die as well. And that's why, that's why the, at the beginning of the episode, the people on this planet were like, don't come down here. Please don't get involved in our conflict. Um, Kirk does that anyway. And then he involves the enterprise. Okay. So I plugged in some numbers and I, I'm not really sure how to, how to interpret these disintegration booths. When Kirk goes to stop um, his friends from being disintegrated, the, the person on the, in the the main command room, um, reports that disintegrator number 12 has been destroyed. So let's go ahead and just play with the idea that there's not maybe a huge amount of disintegrators, Mm -hmm. but let's say that there are 1.5 million people need to die within 24 hours. That Mm -hmm. means Mm -hmm. 62,000 people need to die every single hour. And if you're going to have, let's say, it seemed like they were going with a one a minute sort of um, <laughs> schedule, mm-hmm. that would be one thousand killed every single minute. It's, but yeah, it's, it's
1: within, one by one. It's not a mass disintegration. They're not animals.
2: Yeah, the booths can only fit one person at a time. But but here was here's here's what I was thinking. If you know that you have 24 hours to um, report for death. You're probably not going to do it immediately unless you're mm-hmm. fucking insane. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I've i been scheduled for death. And you just start sprinting down the corridor. Um, Here I just come. Just skipping. I, like, yeah. you're probably I don't have gonna... to pay
1: my student loans. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're probably going to wait until the next day. So let's go ahead. They had until noon. It was like noon to noon. Mm-hmm. So let's say that you go from 8 o'clock in the morning to 12. Like that's the time that most people would probably show up. In that case, you'd have to kill 375,000 people um, every hour and then 6,200 people every single minute. So that would imply that you would have like an endless stream of people going into 6,000 disintegrators in the city. However, the disintegrator that we saw had, like, two people gathered around it. So you would mm-hmm. probably have to multiply that number by, like, a thousandfold and say that there's probably about 600,000 disintegrators all around the city that people just kind of wander into whenever they're ready to die, which yeah, is like phone, horrible phone and booths.
0: grotesque.
1: Yeah, like like phone booths. You know, you just casually go in when you need to make a call or die. <laughs>
0: oh, my... Corey, I'm so, I never thought about this. I didn't consider this idea that they had, like, just the rate at which you have to kill people has to be, like, astronomical. Um,
1: I mean, it is an administrative nightmare. How would you track people? How would you decide who's in what region? Like, what if the region that gets destroyed is where you grocery shop, but it's not where you live, but you did go grocery shopping that day? Were you destroyed or not?
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh man. Yeah. It does bring up a lot of just really dumb. I mean, a lot of questions about this. I get. I mean, there has to be just like thousands of disintegration chambers. Uh, this is, it's like the military industrial complex, but it's really the disintegration chamber
1: industrial complex. <laughs> yeah.
0: Probably like the companies that make uh, disintegration chambers are just making so much money on this planet.
1: Right, like, that's everyone's job is, like, repairing them or maintain, maintaining them or, like, tracking who has to be disintegrated. It's, like, the biggest industry in the planet.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't want to see this war end. Big disintegrations getting a lot of money from this war. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, what a great point. Well, 2 it doesn't sound like these attacks are that common. Like, it's not like a place is getting bombed every day. Like, it seems like it happens, like, once a year or something. So it seems insane for people to, yeah, just be like, oh, 24 hours. Okay, time to go. All right. So I just want to say about the end, Kirk explodes a computer. That seems to be his solution (laughs) to every problem now is blowing up a computer. That's how they solved the purge episode. And that's how he solved this one. He's just like, nerds with your computers, Get out of here. Go outside and throw around a football like a real American.
1: Do you think after he explodes the computer, Spock has to take him aside and be like, It's okay, James. That didn't have Landrew in it. Landrew can't hurt you anymore.
0: <laughs> he just has Landru PTSD. So now he's like, he, he was like for weeks after that encounter, he was just like blowing up computers on the Enterprise.
1: And... Bones is no help at all. He's just like, well, sometimes a man needs to get laid. You know what I'm saying? Fuck that shit, Jim.
0: (laughs) Or he's just like, you know what you need, Jim, is a drink. Here's some whiskey.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And bottle it up. Don't ever tell anyone how you're feeling.
0: Just drink and have sex away with your problems.
1: It worked for me. Don't I look great? I'm 32.
2: There was a new drink at introduced in this episode um when kirk goes to visit the leader of the planet he's like would you be interested in some trova yes mm. and i thought that that
0: was fun i put it mm. in all caps in my notes
1: trova but how does it compare to the tranya
0: it's not a, nothing's as good as tranya
1: ah but first the tranya,
0: mm, tranya. <laughs> <laughs> well guys that's it for today thank you for listening and until we see you again Keep on trekking.
1: Blah blah.